Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Once again, my name is John Russ, and I serve as the host, and I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. And Frank, we have been plowing through chapter two of Colossians. It's been a great time, hasn't it? Oh, it has been because that's the book that exalts Jesus. And like Philippians 2 said, he is given the name Lord. Every knee should bow, every tongue confess his exalted lordship. So yes, it's wonderful, John. Amazing. Yes, sir. And so far in this chapter, Frank, by way of review, uh, we've seen kind of a list, like a resume of just about everything Jesus has done for us. We saw that uh, he has made us complete in him. We lack nothing, Frank. How exciting. He's completely separated us from the power of sin. That is, sin doesn't control us anymore. If we sin, it's because we choose to. He's completely changed our identity, buried with him in baptism, raised to new life. Frank, he forgave us all of our trespasses and canceled completely the record of debt that was against us. You know, he bore our curse that the law had saved up just for us for that long list of offenses that we had. And that curse fell on Jesus. Mm. And so not only did he do that, Frank, but he did something to our enemy, my friend. He disarmed him. He put him to shame. He personally triumphed over him. You know, as I think about this list, I just get shivers, Frank. And I can't help but let my mind run to what our friends Bill and Annabelle Gillum would say, that he did it all for us, didn't he, Frank? Mm. <laughs> yes. Boy, as soon as you said that, it brings back the memories of that country man with such wisdom. He emphasized every one of those words in that statement, John. He did it all for us. He did it all for us. He did it you know, yes, I remember that. And in other words, it's finished. It's and finished. you know, as we love to say in the Greek, it means it's finished. It's, it means it's over. Finished. Yeah. That's right. Well, my friend, based on that foundation, we're going to pick up here in verse 18 today. And we're going to look at this list, this resume of accomplishments, not as something we can tack on our wall like a diploma, but Jesus did this for us with a reason. So we're why guys, we got to ask, why did he do it? Well, there are lots of reasons he did, but Apostle Paul mentions one here today in verse 18. And these truths are to equip us to stand strong against everything the world is going to throw against us to cause us to question. So he begins with this, my friend, verse 18, let no one disqualify you. King James says, cheat you of your reward. How will they disqualify you? They'll insist on asceticism mm. and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. 
And so I want to dive in here, Frank, mm -hmm. and just pick apart exactly what's going on. Let no one disqualify you. you. Now, we can't lose our salvation, but boy, all those accomplishments for us can certainly have no effect in our lives if we take our focus off Jesus, can't they? Absolutely right, John. Uh, the blessings of Christ are eternal in him, and if we have him, according to Ephesians 1, we have all his blessings done. Very real way, they are our possessions. But it would be just like having a million dollars in a bank account and never writing a check or using your debit card. If you don't make the choice to live in accordance with what you have, you won't experience what you have. And the sad thing, John, is that there are so many, many, many people out there who will come to us and say, you know, Jesus isn't enough. You need to do more. You need to have more. And they will always be trying to distract us away from what he has done and away from what we have so we could live in confidence, security, and victory. And that's a tragic thing, John. We saw it in our uh, book of Galatians, and maybe it's a great time to plug it. <laughs> in a few months, Lord willing, our first commentary will be out. And in that first chapter, Paul said, I marvel that you are so quickly removed from him. Boy, there's a lot of distractions out there, John. Yes, there certainly are. And you know, Frank, you you said it, removed from him. And where our focus is not to be on a message or a theological system, but our focus is to be on a person. And when we lose that focus, Paul says here, we can become disqualified. We can have all these resources. They mean nothing to us. And so because that happens, uh, we insist on asceticism. That's what my version mm -hmm. says here. And uh, basically that says we focus on, on taking delight in things that make us feel prideful. False humility might be a better phrase to say here. We wind up focusing on meaningless things to feel good about ourselves when we lose focus on him. And this is what Paul cautions us against. That's why he went through all those long lists of truths about us so that when the temptations and the attacks come to make us double think things, we can be grounded and say, not, not going there. I'm not going to be disqualified. I'm going to use every one of these things my big brother Jesus has done for me. And I'm going to make it count in my life because, boy, we can lose focus like nobody else can know, can't we? Well, John, yes, absolutely. This really goes back, I think, to the Gospels when Jesus was having his discussion with the woman at the well. And we know from the study there, it's very clear, this was a carnal woman. This was a woman who was lost as a goose, separated from God, being separated from God. She was doing all kinds of things to try to get her needs met. And most of those things were very destructive to her personally and relationally with all those people she came in contact with. Jesus comes along and offers her living water at that well where she was drawing physical water. He kind of hints at who he is. She starts to catch on. 
And then she asked this question. Okay, if you're from God, settle this issue. Are we going to worship on the mountain that the Samaritans do or the mountains that the Jews do? Which mountain is correct? Which way is correct? Which religion is correct? And Jesus basically slams her. He does it gently, but it's a slam. He says, girl, you don't understand the issues. There's coming a day when worship isn't going to be on this mountain or that mountain because the kingdom is spirit. It is not an issue of externals. Paul affirmed this in Romans later when he said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the issue of Christianity, John, is a spiritual issue, internal issue, not an external issue. Now, it affects the externals as life on the inside flows to the outside, but it is definitively not an issue of the external things, the physical things, affecting the internal or the spiritual. So anytime we get these people who are going, look what we're doing on the outside, Boy, you'd really be a committed believer if you did it too. Uh, you're not doing enough on the outside. We have just stepped away from the source of life back to some carnal, earthly, physical attempt to merit some standing before God and other people. And John, I don't know the way there's any other way to say it. It's from the pit of hell. And that's why Paul is so firm here. Don't let anyone beguile you, rob you, steal from you. He says in the Galatian letter, bewitch you, charm you. You're being charmed by deceivers. You're being pulled away by deceivers who don't know God. That's why they're calling you to stuff instead of him. And it's interesting you say that because, you know, you and I over the years have had many folks criticize the message of Christ's life, of grace and freedom in Christ. And because they criticize the message, they criticize the messenger, too. So we've been in people's crosshairs over the years. And that's why Paul says, man, you have got to hang tough. He says it's a command. It's imperative. In verse 18, let no one cheat you of your reward. You've got to say no. That's mm -hmm. nonsense. I'm not going to believe that. And he says, like in verse 16, let no one pass judgment. Say no to legalism. Galatians 5.1. Just say no. We got to be firm, Frank. It's nice to be loving and Christian and tender and to listen to all people carefully. But boy, when it comes to anything that will lead us away from solely focusing on the Savior, we have got to be firm, don't we? Yes, we do, John. And, and that includes not only that asceticism. And, you know, that's just a, a person who says, oh, everything physical is evil and I'm going to avoid it. My goodness, maybe we camp here for a second. But I read accounts years ago of some of the first century ascetics where they would withdraw from civilization. They, they would not eat properly, wouldn't drink properly, wouldn't bathe because they don't want to be a part of the world. Look how separated we are. And one account said that this one man was so dirty and vile, if you will, that insects would drop off of him as he walked. <laughs> that, that's considered holiness? 
that's certainly not having regard for the physical body that God gave you to become his temple. So if we can really get crazy here, but then this idea of worship of angels. And John, I think what that means, it's not the normal word for worship, by the way, it's, it's kind of more of a word for religious practice, but it involves calling on angels or having a special interest in angels, or maybe looking to angels as mediators. And so what happens is as soon as you have to implement an angel, you are robbing yourself of the incredible privilege of the new covenant that you can go directly to God through Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's another mediator, Frank. It's, it's It's another barrier between you and the Lord. Yeah. And when you do that stuff on the outside, boy, you look holy. Look at that man. He's involving angels. You have Jesus Christ. You have the mediator. You go straight to the throne of the Father in his name. You understand why Paul is very serious here, John. Why would you let someone rob you of the privilege of going directly to the throne with asceticism you know, all this silly behavior and then calling in angels to the economy of intimacy between you and God. It's just unbelievable. It's deflection, man. It's just, if you're veering away from the truth, then anything that looks truthful will be so attractive to you. Paul wrote the same thing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. He talks about these folks who have the appearance of godliness. They look so good on the outside. Mm. But they deny the power of real godly living in their lives. They just deny it. And then he tells you how to manage those. He says, avoid them. <laughs> you know, turn away <laughs> from those people. It doesn't say to sit there and convince them that they're wrong, but for your own self-benefit, you need to not listen to them and be reminded of what's true. And then from a position of truth, you can discuss with them and try to lead them back, but do not let them twist your thinking. It will not prove to be beneficial to you, and it will take you on the very same path they are on. My goodness. Mm. Yes, because distractions are everywhere, my friend. You know that. Yeah, John, I'm just listening to you and, and, and reflecting as I hear your words. There's just... Anytime anybody tries to add to the work of Christ through bringing in any other person, practice, behavior, here's an amazing thought, John. They're not only robbing us, beguiling us, deceiving us, distracting us away from Jesus, but here's another reason why maybe we need to just not get involved in that because they are actually robbing our Lord Jesus of the glory of his finished work when they say we have to do more. Mm. And we have to get to the point where we just say to these people, I am not going to let you minimize that my God became a curse for me by you telling me I've got to bring in an angel or not eat a certain food, or not drink a certain beverage. Do you realize what you're doing to my Lord and his finished work? You know, we need to be kind. We need to be gentle. But like you said, we also have to take a stand here and be very, very firm. Listen to your talk. It cements in my mind why Paul spent so much time in the early verses of chapter two, laying out 
everything that our Lord has done for us. Because when that truth, all those truths are cemented in your mind, you'll be able to see a stick that's crooked really fast. And you'll be able to say, <laughs> no, I don't think so. And this is what I know to be true because my Jesus told me it was true. This is what he did for me. And Frank, I was reading up about the worship of angels because that's intriguing. That's not mm -hmm. something that we run across in, in this world. And so I, I did a little bit of history because I'm kind of geeky and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And apparently angel worship was going on in this area of Turkey for centuries. In fact, one of the early church synods, the Synod of Laodicea in AD 363, wrote this, that Christians should not abandon the church of God and go around invoking angels. So here we are 300 mm. years later, and angel issues are still a stronghold. And then, of course, you know the name of Sir William Ramsey, the archaeologist, New Testament scholar. He wrote that in 739 AD, that's 700 years later, that there was a victory over the Muslims that was dedicated to the archangel Michael. And so the point that struck me is that when the enemy gets a foothold and he finds a way to steer a group of people away from Jesus, man, he can use that for centuries to distract wow. people from the Savior. I mean, look at this, 700 years, and they're still confused about angels. Boy, when the enemy gets a trick that works, he does not abandon it, does he? Yeah, it's a stunning comment you just made. It shows how serious this call was in the book of Colossians. Paul's very serious about this, because like you said, if you don't get this fixed, it can become generational in the church. Yes. And so we've got, of course, the Holy Spirit communicating truth to us. He uses a brilliant man, Paul, educated under Gamaliel, a Pharisee of Pharisees, brilliant interpreter of the law. And yet for all that brilliance, John, he can bring it down to a kindergarten level and say, let me tell you why I'm so serious. And that's in that next verse when he says, you're not holding to the head. And, you know, he could have used so many other words. You know, he, you're not holding to the Messiah. You're not holding to the King. You're not holding to the Lord, the Savior. But he said the head. And John, in my little brain, I just had the thought, if you cut off your head, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so when he says this, he's bringing it down to a kindergartner level you're not going to make it without the head. It's so simple. <laughs> Why'd you look anywhere else? Yeah. Elsewhere, he says, you know, I don't want to become a castaway. And when I read that verse, I think of Gilligan's Island. They yeah. lived their lives on this little island for three seasons in the 60s. I watched religiously as a kid every week, but it meant nothing to anybody else. And what a perfect picture of what disqualification looks like. When we get our eyes off the head, you can wind up running around and being Lord of your little island and mean nothing for mm. the greater kingdom. Wow. What a sobering warning he gives us here. Without a head, there's no life. That's and right. Look what he says right there, John. <laughs> the head supplies the whole body, knits it together, brings life. This is, of course, as you and I know, and as we have been trying to proclaim to the church for decades now, 
our Lord Jesus, he is not just Lord. He is not just Savior. He is life source. And if you have the life, the life, you don't have to look anywhere else for, for life. Amen. Jumping ahead to verse 19 and looking at this and, and what you lose, what we lose if we don't hold fast to the head. He promised us back in verse three of this chapter, wisdom and knowledge is ours. But if you lose your focus on the head, wisdom and knowledge are just going to be gone from us. If we lose our focus on the head, the fullness of God, he told us is ours in verse nine, becomes useless to us. Mm. You know, the authority that's ours in Christ, verse 10, becomes useless to us. It becomes non-functional because we just don't use it. We allow ourselves to be at the whims of whatever others tell us we should be doing to worship our Savior. It just leads us away from the track that gives us life, the only thing that gives us life. And so really, Frank, we can be perfectly mature adults and believers, but when we lose our focus, we can grow downward spiritually and become almost like little children again, can't we? Don, it's, it's interesting. I'm in a study of Revelation right now, and he wrote letters to seven different churches and every church was different in their journey of faith. Some were being persecuted. Some had good deeds. Some didn't have such good deeds. Some had great doctrine. Some were buying into not so good doctrine. Some of the churches were being persecuted. Another church had gotten so lukewarm, it lost its light. And yet, John, to the seven different churches, which really represent all different kinds of believers, there was one common message. And it was couched in, if you have ears, hear the message. And the message was, you have one responsibility, maintain a vital union with the only true source of life and light. That's it. John, it's very simple. Life is found in Christ. It is found in no one else and in nothing else. Why would you ever let anyone lead you away from the only true source of life and light? And that's Paul's message to the Corinthians, you remember. That's right. Never, never, never lose the simplicity of Christ. And you know, John, when I look at this list you've presented our listeners today from Colossians, that's complexity. Don't go here. Don't go there. Do the new moon. Don't do the new moon. Drink this. Don't drink that. Get this holy day. Worship the angels. That's complexity. And complexity is the arch enemy of simplicity. And simplicity is the means to true life. Boy, it's, it's so clear, John, in this book of Colossians. I'm so glad you brought it to our listeners today That's and right. a reminder to me because I, <laughs> I can be distracted every day. We all can. And Frank, the thing that makes me just cringe when I think about getting my focus off my Savior is the consequences. You know, he talks about this. He says, they're puffed up without reason mm. by a fleshly mind, a mind that's focused not on the spirit, but on the flesh. And Frank, the last thing I want is to be puffed up with it. I want to be puffed up, 
but I want to be puffed mm-hmm. up because I my name's <laughs> in the book of life. And all these great things that Jesus gave me in my resume are true about me. Not only true about me in fact, but true about me in practice. That's the thing, Frank, that gets me. They need to be true about all of us in practice as we walk through this life every day, because the enemy will not stop. Just like he spent 700 years feeding the same nonsense lie about angels to those people, he will not stop his efforts to distract us. We've got to be grounded. And with that, my friend, wrap us up. In uh, the Revelation, he uses the vision of a lampstand. He is the central stem of the stand. And every one of the lights is connected individually and relationally to the center stem. I think it's pretty clear. If you want your light to shine, you have to have an intimate relationship with the source of that light. And the source of that light is the life of Jesus Christ. In John 1, John made this clear. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. He didn't put it the other way around. You have the life through faith. And then the light is turned on. And the enemy can't stand the light. Because when the light shines in the darkness, there will be people who will come to the light. So he's going to want to snuff out your light. He can do that through persecution. But he can also do that. And I believe the major way he does it is by distraction to get us to look to things other than Jesus Christ. Amen. And friends, you have been listening today to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. So we've been chatting our way through Colossians chapter two. And if Father has ministered to you today in any way, please let us know. Visit our website, drop us a line. You'll find a way to contact us there. You'll find different articles, devotionals, eBooks, newsletters, etc., all centered on the same theme of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, and most importantly, our very life. So again, we'd love to hear from you. Please let us know what's going on in your life. We'd like to pray for you as well. And of course, we ask that you would pray for us also as we labor to bring the message of life to those who need to hear it most. Check us out on all of our social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram. We've got a channel on YouTube under Our Resolute Hope. And uh, as always, we close with this same reminder from Hebrews chapter 6, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope, a bedrock, unmovable, never shifting hope. And that hope is a person. That hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope. Choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.